This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Buy the book on BFM 89.9. Welcome to Buy the Book. I'm Lee Chui Lin, joined by my fellow spook, but not in that sense, Sharmila Ganesan. Hello. <laughs> I tried. I tried. Uh, was that you trying to indicate that you're not part of the CIA, but instead, you know, a sort of ghoulish figure? I was, I was going with a com- for a combination of a hello and a boo and failed at both. But... <laughs> So I'm not a writer of horror, okay? I'm a reader. Let's just get that straight. So uh, apologies, everybody, for what amounts to an introduction from us, apparently. Uh, We are doing today uh, our Halloween episode. And rather than have us both sort of witter on about our favourites, we thought we would hear a bunch of different voices, get different recommendations of essentially what are people's favourite scary books. Um, Now, before we get to the clips, I did think that we could start off by talking about horror and whether we enjoy reading it. I love reading horror, um, perhaps because I'm so bad at, as I demonstrated just now, conjuring up anything that's scary on my own. Uh, But there's just something so vicarious about reading these things in a book. Um, I've always loved horror. I find them tough, especially when I'm on my own. Um, But anyone who can write a good horror tale has my heart. Mm. Um, I do love horror. I also actually really love classic horror because it lays down a lot of the themes that we still see developed today, right? Whether it's like reanimation or vampires or, you know, there are a lot of themes that still ring true. A ticking heart. Yes, a ticking heart, a brick being fit into a wall. (laughs) And so, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of appeal there. I have to say, though, that over the years, I've read it less and less. And I think that uh, that has to do, sadly, with the very boring reason of being an adult and needing sleep and not knowing if I start a book that is about horror or, um, you know, horror short stories, whether sleep is a guarantee. Same. We're going to hear a number of, I think, Stephen King books um, in, in the selection that we have today. And he's a great example of how at one point in time, I just blazed through almost everything he's written. And I loved them. But I actually haven't read, read much of his new stuff. And, and not because I don't want to, but mostly one time, and there's always something else to read. Two, I generally think of horror as something that I need to be in the right headspace and physical space for. And when I'm living alone, it's not necessarily that space. When I'm on holiday in a place I don't know, it's not necessarily that space. A bright, sunnily lit breakfast nook or beach where you can yes. see everything coming. I think. But then what if you have to go back to your hotel room at the end of it in the dark? A bright hotel room. <laughs> 
where you've with moved, a friend, with a friend, with a friend, where you've moved the furniture and the corners are wide open, and nobody's hiding. Um, okay, so we're about to hear some recommendations, but as always, we also want to hear from you, right? Like, do you enjoy reading horror? Uh, this is our spooky Halloween show, as a reminder. Um, so yeah, do you enjoy reading horror? Who are some of your favourite writers or favourite books in this area? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. So we first have, kicking things off, the king of horror. Here's a recommendation from Amalina. Hi, I'm Amalina from Kaokita, and the scariest book I've ever read is Misery by Stephen King. Now, I can read about monsters, ghouls, and ghosts, and still be able to sleep like a baby afterwards. But Misery really spooked me. Stephen King's writing style does a great job at building the suspense in this psychological thriller. And really, there's nothing scarier than a scorned fan. I mean, just have to scroll through Twitter and you'll see. As an aspiring writer, the main character was really relatable. It was easy for me to put myself in his shoes as he experiences the horrific events in this book. Imagine having to choose between finishing a book in the middle of a writer's block or being murdered in an isolated location, never seeing your loved ones ever again. Oof, wouldn't want to be in that position. Misery really kept me at the edge of my seat as I was reading and got me thinking about it for a long time after I'd put it down. So Amalina was recommending uh, Misery there. And just to say that our show is bookended by Stephen King recommendations. I do want to say that up front. I mean, I think it's to be expected to a degree. The man is the king of horror. Misery in particular. So we spoke about Stephen King on a bibliography episode recently. And this book came up a lot. And I think it did because it's a very human sort of fear that you feel. This is somebody who could be around the corner. This is somebody who could be your neighbor. This doesn't rely on like a demented clown who is the embodiment of evil living in a drain. Just something you you pulled up out of nowhere, right? (laughs) Yeah. No, I I agree. And and I've always found horror that's based on human behavior particularly terrifying and particularly interesting to read. Um, It's the same reason why Silence of the Lambs is one of my favorite Mm. books. And Misery in particular has has a very, um, it's a push and pull of, you actually do kind of empathize with her character a lot. I mean, the movie as well, Kathy Bates does such a good job. Um, But objectively, the things that happen to him in that cottage are so terrifying. I've read it so many times. And even knowing what comes, I still find myself just chilled. Uh, it also takes away the issue uh, or the the freedom of agency and mobility that a lot of us treasure because, of course, Paul, the character, the writer character, has a broken leg to start with. And so I think that that idea of helplessness and of not being able to free oneself is also a, a a theme that's very present in Misery. Now, I spoke earlier about the appeal of classic literature and how horror has its roots in really decades, centuries worth of writing. And uh, we're about to hear about that from Aqui. Hi, I'm Aqui. And today I would like to explain a book entitled Japanese Tales of Mystery and Imagination from Erogawa Rampo. This book, instead of a long, drawn-out story of how main characters go through some deep, disturbing situations, it's more on the hidden discoveries of how what happens when stories are being told in a different way. The stories include, well, I believe nine stories, 
And these nine stories have impacted me in many different ways because I've read this a while ago and till this day, I still remember everything in vivid details. The story, the stories go through multitudes of the perspectives. It cycles through different perspectives of how people actually go through these scenarios of these horrors. Mm, the three stories that I remember the best in these nine story collection would be The Human Chair, talking about a writer with, with their encounter with a fan who wrote her a letter that gets more disturbingly detailed about her chair, the one that she's sitting on grading, grading papers and reading letters from day to day. The next one would be about the caterpillar about an amputated man, he doesn't have limbs, and his miscommunications with his wife and her struggle to communicate with him. The last one is The Hell of Mirrors, where it's an outsider's perspective of watching his friend go mad, slowly by slowly driven to madness by how the unknown can be so scary but yet so drawing, dragging his friend into never-ending nightmare of staring into four walls of mirrors. I would totally suggest this book because, yeah, it's very nicely written. Even though it was translated, I believe that most of the original essence has been captured in this book in vivid detail. Sometimes the stories go through how unreliable the narrators are. Sometimes the, the narrators are too reliable and gives too much detail. This book scares you in any way you can think of, and I would really recommend it. Thank you. So I'm a big fan of these sorts of, um, I think, horror, a fantasy, any sort of fiction that's rooted in, I think, cultural norms and, uh, and mythology and so on. I haven't read this and I now really, really want to. Um, but, you know, I, I think even locally, there are so many stories and, and uh, folk tales that have their roots in a very local sense. And, and I think we've said this before, nothing is quite as scary as a ghost that you think could be down the road. And for that reason, I often find Asian horror particularly difficult to deal with. Um, difficult to the point where I, I still won't read a, a Pontiana book, for instance, after dark. I just can't. Uh, Asian horror, I think, also has an instructional quality to it that makes it frightening because we, we talked about this before, right? Horror stories in many parental contexts play an important role. Don't go out after dark. Don't turn around when a stranger taps you on the back. <laughs> These very specific things. And I think that's part of why they're so frightening because they come with really devastating consequences that our parents have done their part to like drum into us from a young age. And the other thing is that it gives really interesting insight into what a specific culture is frightened of or what a specific culture is fixated upon. So just as with Malaysia, you have um, you know our, our Pontianaks and our Toyols and all the rest of it, um, to see what the preoccupations are of other countries, such as Japan, is really interesting. And you're right, I have not read this book and I'm now just so keen to, to run out and get a copy. So taking uh, the notion of horror, I think, into a much more familiar space, you know, suburbia is such ripe spaces for horror. Here's something from Ashley. Hi, my name is Ashley and my favorite horror book is Stafford Wives by Ira Levin. I love this book because I think that Levin depicts the complexities of women's fears and questions the integrity of heterosexual marriages incredibly well. I think the book poses questions like, what does it mean if you can't trust your spouse? 
does entering a marriage mean a blind acceptance that your spouse automatically means you well? And what do you do with that nagging pit in your stomach that your spouse wants you to change or worse, wants you dead? I feel like Levin's story is a caution tale to women to trust your instincts, um, to believe other women, (laughs) and more importantly, to trust yourself even when you feel, no matter how ridiculous it may seem, that your husband could very well be plotting to turn you into a slave robot. (laughs) Finally, I also really love Levin's satirical take um, of the exclusivity of men's association. I mean, I could be very well be interpreting this on my own, but I definitely think that Levin is calling for the axing of all exclusionary men's group, clearly since they're up to no good. Um, I think that showing that men's group having secret meetings in the dead of, dead of night without their wives and the hopes of turning them to robots clearly means that it's time for them to go. So that was Ashley uh, talking about Stepford Wives by Ira Levin. And Ira Levin is such an interesting name because I feel as if at this point, uh, some of his works have become divorced from their original context because Stepford Wives is a movie, Rosemary's Baby, I think people still also think of more commonly as, as a film than as a book. But in both instances... His work really deals with with psychological horror, you know, with with the with the fear of what people who are intimate with you, the closest to you, might in fact be doing behind your back, or might in fact be in the case of Rosemary's Baby. And I love the fact that we can talk as well about psychological horror and how that lives and sometimes lurks under the mundane. The horror of the ordinary, the mundane. Yeah, I think that's what Ira Levin does so well. My regret with his books um, and both those books, Stepford Wives as well as Rosemary's Baby, is that I watched the movies first before I read the books. The books are great, but um, Stepford Wives, the movie, isn't actually nearly as good as the book is but it's still quite a you know Nicole Kidman's performance the visual of all the blonde housewives Mm. Um, so because of that it does that thing where I now can't read the book without imagining the scenes from the film which undercuts I think the horror of the actual writing but if you haven't watched those movies I would deeply recommend that you read the books first. So it's our Halloween-themed episode today, and we're getting recommendations of, um, you know, some favourite scary books that people have read. So far, we've heard from Amalina talking about Stephen King's Misery. We've heard from Eikhui talking about the... uh, the book Japanese Tales of Mystery and Imagination by Edogawa Ranpo. And we just heard from Ashley discussing Stepford Wives by Ira Levin. Uh, We're going to come back and get to more recommendations. And I have to say, I'm looking forward to talking about them. But let us know. I mean, do you like reading horror? Um, What are some of your favourites in this area? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Building Fit Malaysians, BFM. 89.9. I was working in the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the mash He did the monster mash The monster mash it was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. It got on in a flash. He did the mash. He did the monster mash. From my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom. Where the- 
Hello, you are listening to By the Book with Lynn and Sharmila. It is our Halloween-themed episode, so we're going full fright fest, so to speak. Um, but it's not just us that we're hearing from. Today, we asked um, six people, really, to give us some of their favourite recommendations, their favourite scary books. And uh, up next, we have Hidayah. My name is Hiridaya. I'm 30 years old and I work as a high school teacher in Sabah. Regarding my favorite horror books, I choose Hell House written by Richard Madsen. So for me, this book is full of elements that will make your lips curl in disgust and gives you feel while reading. And it's only a short piece of reading because it has 200 pages. Um, so it started when a character who is nearly death, paid a group of people to examine a house that is abandoned for 30 years. So this house uh, is full of uh, incidents that had happened where a list of evil things and activities is done to test uh, whether evil affected people. So the group of people goes there and they thought that they are going to examine or study a haunted house. But then it affected them throughout the time they were in that house, where it affected the way they behave, the way they think and how they feel towards each other. At first, it may sound like a normal haunted house story. But then it goes way deeper. Uh, you might feel that it is really evil affecting yourself too. So uh, I guess you can go have a read at this book and enjoy. So I have not read Hell House and I've always, always wanted to, primarily because I love I Am Legend by Richard Matheson. Uh, the movie is good, but it's very, very different. The movie is not scary at all. I Am Legend, well, I mean, it's scary in parts, mostly sad, but I Am Legend, the book terrified me. Um, it's And it's not even a, a kind of obvious things jumping out of the dark at you kind of horror. It's just this existential fear of life and how it's going to get you. Um, and Hell House, the story, um, and even just hearing Hidaya talk about it, reminded me again of how much I've been wanting to read that. So I think that uh, there is a specific appeal here of the haunted house. Um, we, mm -hmm. we spoke a little bit earlier about tropes and we, we touched on a number of them, but we didn't mention the haunted house, which is funny because this is something that still is so present in writing, but also in fun fairs. You know, there's a reason why uh, the, the haunted house premise is so, so scary. And I think it's because it's for the same reason that people don't like going into buildings that used to be hospitals. It's, it's for, you know, you don't know the history of a place, you respect the history of a place, and you don't know kind of what might be lurking there even as you lie asleep, even as you just go about your day. I um, have to say that I particularly have a love-hate relationship with haunted house stories mm. because exactly what we started the show with, I find it really difficult to walk up the stairs and just go to bed after I've read one. Um, and now we have quite an interesting suggestion by Kalash. Hi, my name is Kalash Nandakumar and a horror book I recommend is the critically acclaimed novel The Vegetarian by South Korean author Han Kang. The book received international recognition and won the Booker Prize in 2016. On a superficial level, it tells the story of a woman 
who decides to become a vegetarian after having a series of vivid dreams. The story is told from three different point of views around the protagonist's decision to stop consuming meat, which ends up alienating her family and the people around her. On closer reading, though, it is an eco-feminist horror tale on ways of using your body as a weapon for protest and self-expression. Kang's prose is sharp but lyrical and her metaphors deeply evocative, oftentimes blurring the boundaries of dream and reality. If you enjoyed reading Murakami or Kafka, then this novel might interest you. Word of caution, however, that this novel has graphic descriptions of violence, sex, rape and suicide. Thank you. So that was Kalash talking about um, Han Kang's The Vegetarian. And I'm so excited that somebody brought this up because I I read The Vegetarian a while ago. And I've for a while after that, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I mean, for, for a number of the reasons that I think we just heard there, because it explores body horror, but it's also about so much more than that, right? It's about somebody who is, in essence, tortured by society, where the real horror lies in the way that society treats its forgotten people or treats people who deviate from the norm. Um, and it's such a sparely written book. It's it's really quite haunting. The The progression of it, I think at the start, you don't always know where it's going to go. And by the time you get to the end, you're like, ooh, okay. So because I haven't read The Vegetarian, um, when I was listening to Kalash speak, what actually came to mind was that book we did for Book Club a while back, um, Tender is the Flesh by Agustina Basterica. On the surface, I actually thought the books would be very similar, but I realized, of course, that Vegetarian almost goes deeper with it, but it's not as gory as as, um, Tender is the Flesh was. It's not as gory, but in a way it's as horrifying because it kind of asks you to put yourself in the position of of the protagonist, right? And and of going through that. And you're right. I think it actually explores the themes that were touched on in Tender is the Flesh in a much deeper and really very disturbing way. That's such a good recommendation. Um, now, I did say at the start of the show that we are going to be bookending today with Stephen King. So we started with Misery, which came out ages ago now. And we're closing off with a more recently published book. Here is Shihui telling us about it. Hi. I'm Chang Shihui, and the scariest book I've read recently was The Outsider. It's written by the infamous American author Stephen King. This book is in the genre of crime, horror, and thriller. It was published in 22nd May 2018. It's one of the scariest books that I've ever read, in my opinion. And that's because... Alright. Let me give you an insight of it, alright? A child named Frankie was found brutally murdered, raped, and mutilated in Flint City, Oklahoma. His corpse was found by a man walking his dog. So, the the Flint City Police Detective Ralph Anderson leads the investigation and interviews several witnesses who saw local Little League coach Terry Maitland before, around the time of, and after Frankie Peterson's murder. Which, with one witness seeing Maitland pick up Peterson in a van, another witness claims to have seen Maitland walking out of the woods covered in blood. And another witness, a strip club bouncer named Claude Bolton. He's claimed that he saw Maitland after the killing. Seems pretty suspicious now, doesn't it? And Bolton also stated that he saw that while shaking hands with 
Maitland, he was slightly cut with Maitland's long pinky nail. Dang. There's also forensic evidence from the crime scene pointing to Maitland's guilt, with his fingerprints and DNA found at the scene, and in the van used to abduct poor little Peterson. With all of this evidence, Detective Anderson orders a very public arrest of Maitland, who at one point coached Ralph's son at a little league game in front of all of a full stadium. Now, Maitland here seems like the prime suspect, right? But to pike your interest, it didn't seem like he was the one who murdered Peterson. Or did he? Oh, I'm so glad she brought up The Outsider because as I confessed earlier, I haven't read a lot of recent Stephen King's. Uh, the Outsider and Mr. Mercedes are actually on my list of catching up on Stephen King books. Um, and exactly what she said, I think that was probably one of the best descriptions I've heard of a King novel. Guys, um, okay, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. Um, the Outsider is one of the books that I've read recently, most recently from Stephen King. And it reminded me why I don't read horror anymore, despite the fact that he's one of my favorite authors. And that's because it's incredibly good. So it was, it was, um, it does that thing where it's so gripping because as Shi Hui laid out, right, it's like, who did it and what exactly is going on and, um, when are you going to find out? So it has all that built in, which means that because it's structured like a detective novel, you keep reading. But then it's also got someone with straws for eyes um, sitting on the corner of a little girl's bed at night, pretending to be her father. You know, oh, and God. you see. And so I both want to read it and, and slowly taking it off of my list as we speak. Um, I actually had to leave the book not in my bedroom because I was so freaked out by it and also because I didn't want to accidentally tempt myself into reading it at night and then lying awake at four and thinking, literally, the boogeyman's going to come for me. So I I can't recommend it enough, but at the same time, also find it so incredibly disturbing. Actually, what you just said, that notion of, you know you shouldn't, but I think I might is such a horror reader feeling, right? Mm. And I, I felt it the most recently with Blackwater Sister by Zen Cho, Ooh. because um, a former colleague of ours, uh, Lynn Mark, literally told me, don't read this chapter at night. You, it's going to keep you awake. When you get to that part, leave it for the next day. Did I listen to her? No. Did I stay up until four o'clock because I kept imagining people lurking outside my window? Absolutely. I read The Outsider mostly at four o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> And, and I was, I tried quite and hard to be, yes, I tried quite hard to be disciplined about that. And I know it's not ideal. Okay. I know that like all these horror writers write stuff, imagining you not being able to sleep, but it doesn't mean we have to fall into their ploy. Um, so we've been talking today about some favorites, some favorite scary books uh, and asking for recommendations. And we've heard from six people. Let, let me just run through them again, because the, the wrecks are so good. So um, Amalina started us off and recommended Misery by Stephen King. Ikhui uh, went on to say The Japanese Tales of Mystery and Imagination by Edogawa Ranpo. And then Ashley mentioned Stepford Wives by Ira Levin. So um, a nice distribution there, actually, of, of decades. And then uh, we heard from Hidaya, who recommended Hell House by by Richard Matheson, uh, Kalash, who talked about The Vegetarian by Han Kang, and then our second Stephen King, Shi Hui, talking about The Outsider. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. Do you like reading horror? What are some of your favourites in this area? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, and write to us at bythebook at bfm.my.
Because we spent so much of our show today focused on horror, I thought we could talk about its cousin now in footnotes, and that is the notion of gore, of of not Vidal, but of writing, um, you know, gory works, things that are explicit in their violence, which a lot of horror books do, but a lot of them don't as well. And I think in, in each choice, there's usually a very deliberate one being made by the author. As I was thinking of books to sort of talk about in this portion of the show, I realized it is almost exclusively going to be books I decided not to finish because I couldn't stomach them anymore. And that doesn't mean that the books are not good. In fact, some of the ones that um, I'm going to bring up, they're classics. I just can't, I'm not great with reading horror. In fact, I'm fine with watching it on screen. Reading it makes it feel for lack of a better explanation, and I apologize, it makes it feel like these things are being done to me, mm-hmm. and I cannot deal with that. So here's the thing. When it comes to gore, I think, um, and the comparison of it between being on screen and written down, which is the, the most obvious comparison to make, right? Because a lot of movies, exploitation movies, sexploitation movies, um, horror movies, they're not shy about putting guts and blood on screen. Um, and I think that the distinction, aside from the one you just made of, of it feeling too personal, too close, the other part of it is that sometimes um, on screen, they can't actually go that far because yes. it starts to look outlandish, right? There's only so much blood splatter. Um, there's only so much smashed pumpkins that you can show pretending it's brains. <laughs> I don't think they use pumpkins, but you know what I mean. You know, there's, there's only so many props that you can bring in before um, the suspension of disbelief actually becomes quite a big issue. But with books they can go all the way because Mm -hmm. you just imagine what that looks like. And I don't have a problem as such reading gore, but it does sometimes mean that I need to take a break. Like I just, um, it's, it's become too much. It's overwhelming me with a literal sense of horror and I find myself unable to continue. It doesn't mean that it gives me nightmares per se or, or anything like that, but it does affect the reading experience. Actually, gore doesn't give me nightmares. It's not that kind of creeping horror. But yes, the the sensation of needing to just stop reading for a while. I remember that so clearly, even 20 years later, uh, Jurassic Park, uh, which again, is not a movie you would, a a book that you would associate with gore. But there's this particular scene where um, Nedry is sort of driving into the night and he encounters a dinosaur and it slashes his belly. In the film, it's just sort of trees all rustling and then you realize he's dead. But Mm. in the book, they describe what happens to him, what the dinosaur does to him. And I couldn't go, I had to stop. I had to stop reading and I couldn't get back to that book for a good two or three days and at that point I didn't know whether there was going to be more of it so I really had to steal myself and and I think that's the sort of very personal and intimate thing that you only get while reading. Yeah I I think it also depends on what era the story is set in so um, because as you were speaking I was thinking about disemboweling and how how it's not that common a word anymore really people don't talk about it that much Um, but if you read wartime movie, uh, wartime books. So it doesn't always have to be horror. Gore doesn't just make its presence felt in horror, but like in in wartime books, for example, mm. the the gore is just ever present. Oh, and, wind and up, wind up, Bird Chronicle, the <laughs> the Japanese army torture scene. I could not deal with that. Yes, because it's meant to to push 
those buttons, right? That's really what it's intended to do. And even if you read about things in uh, in, in Elizabethan times where people get beheaded, heads are put on pikes, you know, these are the, the things where you don't expect it, but then suddenly it's there. The one that stands out for me as uh, as something that I haven't been able to stop thinking about since I read it is Chuck Palanio, who is generally that kind of writer, um, and a short story called Guts, which involves a swimming pool, pump and drain, and guts. Um, I, I can't really say much more than that on air for reasons of not wanting to be shut down, but I was quite heartened and also horrified to read that as of, I don't know when, as of recently, uh, they believe that Guts is responsible for seven fainting incidents because every time Chuck Palahniuk reads that short story, people faint. See, the thing is, um, and, and I think Chuck P- Palahniuk is a great example of um, how how differently writing um evolves when you present it on screen. Because if you think of something like Fight Club, um, but the other book that I was actually going to reference was Brett Easton Ellis's American Psycho. And they're off a piece, right? They, I mean, he's yeah. been influenced by, yeah. And it's that macho masculinity. Um, but when they were filmed, these scenes are filmed with a certain amount of humor, um, a certain amount of it being so performative. You said outlandish earlier, and that's exactly it. The violence becomes outlandish to the point where it doesn't hit you as violence almost. However, when you read American Psycho um, and the things that, and you know, American Psycho, because it's all happening in his head, a lot of it is described, um, it becomes very different um, and it becomes perverse in a way that I think doesn't happen on screen. I, I just wanted to say that Guts will probably never be filmed. I, I just don't... I can't even imagine that making it to screen. Maybe animation. I don't want to watch that. But it would be that. horrifying. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see Guts ever being on screen. And the other thing is, um, I really downplayed the numbers earlier. I think my mind just slipped over it. But it's actually 73 <laughs> painting events um, over the course of it having be, being read. So I think that in itself paints a pretty good picture of what it's like to read gory writing. Um, But yeah, we've been talking today about horror um, and asking you for your favourites. I'd like to add on to that. And also, you know, does gore bother you when it comes to when it comes to what you read? WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at bythebook at bfm.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.